It's a beautiful day in this neighborhood, a beautiful day for a neighbor. Would you be mine? Could you be mine? It's a neighborly day in this beauty wood, a neighborly day for a beauty. Would you be mine? Could you be mine? I have always wanted to have a neighbor just like you. I've always wanted to live in a neighborhood with you. So let's make the most of this beautiful day. Since we're together, might as well say, would you be mine? Could you be mine? Won't you be my neighbor? Won't you please? Won't you please? Please won't you be my neighbor? Hi, neighbors. Welcome to a very special podcast visit here with all of you, my Black Cast neighbors, and some special friends who've been on before. We have our friend Gene Beretta, also known as Gene in Philly. Hi, Gene. Hey, Christian. Great to have you here. And our friend Jason. Good to be your neighbor. It is. Yeah, neighbor from very far away. Well, we're all, we're, I was going to say we're all in different time zones, but then I remember, Jason, you're actually in Eastern time. You're not in Central time. Jason Blair is here from Indiana. Gene is in the Philly area, and I'm in Los Angeles. And uh, it's sort of the amazing wonders of technology. Basically, it's just called Skype. But uh, Jason, welcome back to the Blackcast. Right along. Oh wait, that's the wrong that's, show. That's that's the Daniel Tiger special. That uh, okay. It's funny that you mentioned that because uh, at uh, at AfterBuzz, I, I pitched having Felix and some other two year olds talk about new episodes of Daniel Tiger for like a you know like a two minute web show. And uh, that would be awesome. I love that idea. Yeah, I, I show for Daniel Tiger. Well, because the way that he talks about it, he'll he'll talk about what he just saw in a show, you know, and. Uh, there, we we recently watched an episode of uh, Mr. Rogers, and there were several different things that he lo loved in it. One of them was Lady Aberlin and Daniel Striped Tiger playing peekaboo, uh, but then also he just loved that he had he went out in his backyard and he played in his sandbox. So he can give you he can give you the different segments in a show. He will definitely let you know. Anyway, the reason we're here is to talk about uh, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. Specifically, there's this great documentary out called Won't You Be My Neighbor, which has, as they say in show business, it has opened wide at this point. I saw it a couple, I feel like I saw it a couple months ago at this point, but uh, I know Jason and, and Gene, you've both seen it. Gene and I have seen it twice. That's we're more dedicated to the podcast. Yeah, that's because <laughs> show prep is my life. Uh, I, I take a page from uh, someone we all know who feels that way. I kind of wanted to just start talking about Mr. Rogers, the, the show, and, you, and obviously Fred Rogers, the man, and kind of, you know, our own connection to the show from childhood. And the reason why the three of us are the ones talking about this is that the three of us are all parents. Um, Jason, I wanted to let you go first. Yeah, as far as the show, uh, as a kid, I remember back in the day when uh, we used to have the antenna, and the, for some reason the PBS station uh, was in, in Bloomington, and so we used to have those uh, things on your TV where you would turn the antenna on your roof, and it was like a motor, and you'd have to turn it, and, uh, and uh, PBS was always like uh, every morning watching... Uh, Sesame Street and Mr. Rogers. It was appointment television for me. And so when, when they first started airing uh, Daniel Tiger, I didn't actually realize it was like a show that was uh, related to the Fred Rogers thing. I was like, well, this is kind of a ripoff of Mr. Rogers. And I started watching it and I realized, oh, this is Mr. Rogers, like the continuation of it. And uh, so when they announced that uh, that PBS documentary was coming out last spring. I believe it was in March and, and that 
was called It's You I Like. It was a PBS documentary yeah. uh, a little bit before this theatrical movie we're talking about. But yeah, uh, I don't know. Uh, Jay, Jason and I traded a lot of messages about it because we watched it at the same time. Gene, did you happen to see that documentary? I, I'm not sure. I have a I have a video of a recent documentary, which might be that one. Well, this um, is one that has uh, Judd Apatow and Sarah Silverman. And, no, uh, yeah, I don't okay. think I did yeah. that. Lots and lots of Yo-Yo Ma. But, uh, yeah, there's a lot of Yo-Yo Ma. When I went into the recording of this and I watched it, it was half pledge break and Yo-Yo Ma. Like the the recording right. time, it was half of it was a pledge break, and then the other half of it was Yo-Yo Ma. But I did enjoy it quite a lot. But that PBS that that week, I think it was about two weeks. They would run Mr. Rogers with Daniel Tiger. Like they'd run Daniel Tiger and then run some old episodes of Mr. Rogers after it. And I tell you what, that moment almost made me cry because my kids, all the shows they like are the most annoying things in the world. Mickey Mouse Clubhouse, uh, PJ Masks, Little Einsteins. They're just, they're so noisy and loud. We have them on in the car and Mr. Rogers came on and it is just, it's slow. It's quiet. I remember the first episode, it was, he was helping Joe Negri repair a mailbox or something. So they're sitting around just literally you know, pulling nails out of a toolbox and, and hammering them really slowly, showing how you hold the nail. And my kids, they're just standing there, watch the whole episode, just transfixed by it. And it just made me almost want to cry that they would still love something this slow and sweet and that's not loud and, you know, crazy sound effects all the time and it just really really made me miss those days are you sure they just didn't keep the cameras rolling one day when they were fixing the set and they decided <laughs> oh we have some filler footage <laughs> this is yeah. this would be great yeah i i have found that you know look a lot of the shows you mentioned i have uh, actively kept felix away from especially pj masks because we went to a pj mask birthday party and i was just like well what, what is this all about and you know, it was more like it was a two-year-old birthday party, so it was like okay, the the parents pick the themes, which is which is what we do for our birthday parties too. And we saw it in a in a waiting room at the doctor's with with Lucy, and I was like, oh yeah, no no, Felix doesn't need to know that the show exists. As long as we can avoid it, uh, we will. But uh, we started letting him watch Daniel Tiger, uh, you know, a little bit over a year ago. We we'd gotten sort of the sign off from a lot of parents. And I did know that there was the connection to uh, Mr. Rogers. I didn't realize it was to the extent of the theme song and the closing th song and him changing his sweater. You know, I didn't know that it was to that level. But it was funny because even before he was putting as many words together, he just knew him as Fun Tiger. So he liked to watch the videos with the Fun Tiger in it. And uh, we would let him watch you know, mostly shorter things, not, not whole episodes. And then it got to be a treat when he could watch it on TV. But that same week you're talking about, Jay, and uh, we DVR'd those episodes of Mr. Rogers that were after Daniel Tiger. And just the fact that he was able to sit and watch a show that was so slow paced and quiet and very deliberate. And that, you know what? He's just as excited to watch Mr. Rogers play in the sandbox as he is to see the, the one show that I do let him watch is DuckTales. And that is uh, obviously a little bit uh, more high energy than this, as you'd imagine. So it, it's great to just watch him. And the crazy thing is, I don't know if they showed the same episodes nationally. And I don't know if you watched them all, Jason. The episode that he love, love, loves the most of Mr. Rogers. It's an opera called A Granddad for Daniel. And um, 
it's it's not great. It's very sweet in a lot of ways, but some of it's not easy to listen to. But he loves it, and I think it just started because they go in there. They go to the aquarium at one point, and you know he likes real Daniel because the Daniel Tiger books have a picture of Mister Rogers with the the Daniel Striped Tiger puppet. So he's like uh, he likes real Daniel. But I was just like, I, I, we got to get off of this opera episode. You know, I, I just it, it's just what he always wants to watch, and uh, you know, I mean, as, as cute as the puppet voices are, I don't think that they're well suited for singing some of them, but uh, the fact that he likes it is, is one of those things that, uh, that definitely gets you, you know, when you're sitting there and you can, uh, it's hard to not get emotional and just watching one of the first times he was watching a whole episode of Daniel Tiger. And, you know, he, he sings at the end, the, I'll be back when the day is new. I was just that that was a little emotional because you just think about like, Oh my God, all those times that, that I saw that. Yeah. Speaking of the operas, getting into the film a bit, when, they, when they're talking about Francois Clemens wanting to have a career as a singer, um, the first clips they flash to <laughs> is this footage of Francois and this woman trapped in these snowman outfits. And it was kind of funny to go from something you expect to be a serious performance to them trapped like they're in those snowsuits from yeah. a Christmas story. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i'm curious to know what that opera was or what that episode well was. i know for a fact that there are 13 operas throughout the run of this series and i believe they're all available on amazon if you have amazon prime you don't even have to pay any extra i'm feeling like i need to tread lightly in the world of operas but one of them i i very much remember my little sister watching because it was about potato bugs and i rem- i saw that and i'm like oh my god that's those songs just droned on and on <laughs> and uh you know because i was much too cool for school now uh gene uh, your son ben is he 12 10 i lost no. track 14 14 well i really lost track obviously yeah. uh so obviously not in the daniel tiger demographic did he see mr rogers when he was little or it was really off the air no. I, I would say no. for the most part he, you know he had no idea who mr rogers was until i took him to the movie you know, so any influence Mr. Rogers had on his life came through uh, what I learned from Mr. Rogers. So uh, it was interesting to watch him in the theater. And he's usually, you know, pretty hyperactive. And he, he was there with it the whole time. Um, I think there were certain core messages that captured him. For example, you know, it's my son is on the spectrum. And so he's got, you know, he's got his challenges in certain areas where the general population of kids don't. And so I think there's always something in the back of his head. Um, you know, I, I think he's always wondering, am I part of this group or that group? Where do I fit in? And I think, you know, one of those core messages of Mr. Rogers, you know, about everybody has value, everybody's unique, all of that. Uh, I think those were ringing really true to him. I think that's a big part of why he was, uh, why he stuck with it and why he said he enjoyed it afterward. Because the puppets, of course, you know, he's not... You, the puppets were very primitive, uh, even for that day. The mouth didn't move. Um, He's used to Uncle Bill and the Muppets and, and all that, right? I exactly. mean, yeah. Yeah, yeah. He's spoiled with that. And so it, it all still stayed with him. Well, it's so, interesting. But yeah, so, he was, so the show wasn't a part of his life at all growing up. Yeah, I mean, it's it's not really on now. I mean, a, a quick look on the, the TiVo showed me that it's on, I think, Sunday mornings at like 5 a.m., just once a week. I've TiVo'd a few of them, but I mean, it's on Amazon Prime, as I mentioned. So, um, But, Gene, I feel like the story could take a long time, but I did want to give you a couple minutes to talk about an experience you had 
where you actually got to visit the neighborhood yourself, didn't you? I did. Yeah. It, yeah I'll try to encapsulate it. It was I. I wrote him a fan letter back in the '80s at one point. Just to back up a second, the way I started with the show, I started watching it in my early teens. The same time I discovered Sesame Street. So I'm older than you guys. This was the early '70s. And it was perfect timing. I got home from school. Sesame Street was on. That was full of life and fun and humor. And then Mr. Rogers followed that. And it just uh, was a nice thing to, to ease me down and, and uh, you know, uh, relax me. And it was really contagious for that fact. And, um, and so I was always a big fan. And I didn't tell anybody, of course, because my peers you know, would have teased me to no end. So I finally wrote him a fan letter in the 80s. He wrote back, really nice letter. And then in the 90s, I did some animation work for Sesame Street. And I, I thought, I, I'd, you know, I'd like to you know, tell Mr. Rogers what I've been up to, send him another fan letter. And this was 1998. And he sent me back a really sweet letter. And, and he said, listen, if you're ever in the neighborhood, uh, drop on by. And I just thought, I'm not going to let this invitation go by. I immediately called up, talked to his assistant, Elaine Lynch, and uh, he was five hours away. I was near Philly, and he was in Pittsburgh, of course, shoot where he shot the show. And I was able to, uh, they invited me to come out for the day. It was, a, it was a long and tiring day, but I loved it because it was a five-hour drive, and for some reason I couldn't, spend, I couldn't go the night before. So I had to get up around 2 o'clock in the morning and make the drive. So I was kind of running on vapors, but it didn't seem to matter. But uh, I showed up at the set. First met with his assistant, and then Mr. McFeely out of costume was back um, in the offices, and he gave me a little tour of the place. And then I went onto the stage, which was one of the moments of the film that really were moving for me because I got to see all these areas behind the scenes where I was walking with Mr. Rogers, and I stood next to the piano with him at one point when he, he said to me, watch this, I'm going to make um, Johnny Costa really angry. Johnny Costa was the musical director. So he brought me over to the piano. This is Mr. Rogers, not uh, Mr. McFeely. He sat down at the piano and started playing a song just for me. And, of course, Johnny Costa shouts from across the stage for him to stop playing, which is really pretty <laughs> funny. But even before all that, um, they had, which I guess was probably a routine, they brought school children in from the area to, to say hi to Mr. Rogers before they would start shooting. So everybody was assembled there. I was kind of standing off to the side. Mr. Rogers came in and did all of his greetings and met with everybody, and they were then let out and they started to you know get into production and then they brought me over you know just i guess i was considered more of like an insider only because i had worked on a pbs show so i got to talk to him more privately and then lady elaine not lady elaine lady aberlin was there who was really and she was really sweet got to talk to her for a little bit by the way i i recently uh, listened to an interview she did uh, uh, betty aberlin did with kevin smith uh, several years ago i think it was from uh -huh. 2011 and she said that the most common thing is that people call her lady elaine she's like it's just it's the most common thing that happens is that instead of lady aberlin she usually gets called lady elaine anyway yeah, yeah so in a nutshell that was uh, you know i spent the better part of the day on the set there, they had the land of make-believe all set up. It wasn't his his home that was set up to shoot. They were doing everything in the land of make-believe. And I got to go, and I'd actually had dreams about this during my life, that I was behind the set of his show and seeing what it might be like behind the castle and all that. And there I was actually doing it um, live, which was 
uh, just really uh, strange and, and heavenly. And he let me put the King Friday on my hand and play with him for a bit. And that's and, a that's a photograph that uh, that you have that I, I, I with your permission will post in conjunction with uh, with sure. the episode because I think it's it's just great because there you are with Mr. Rogers and you've got King Friday and it's just like you know as a kid the idea of like yeah I'll you know hang out with Mr. Rogers you know I never knew what you had said that you watched it as, as a teenager you know I just uh, right. I, I know you're a little bit older than us but I also know that how long the show has been on that you could have still watched it as a child to some extent and uh, you know you talked about the combination of Sesame Street and Mr. Rogers. I remember when I was a kid, it was sort of this block. There was also the electric company, which right, was yeah, very yeah. loud and very fast, but it was like a sort of a and uh, three, two, one contact, which mostly handled uh, science and for some reason the Bloodhound Gang. But anyway, and each show was so different, but it like handled something you know that's very important to kids. But like for Mr. Rogers, it, it, it was more like dealing with feelings and learning and things and not just the repetition of, you know, here's, here's the letter D and, you know, and yeah. here, here's what photosynthesis is, you know, it, it's a, it was sort of a, a fascinating thing. He really, and just to put a cap yeah, on sure. that, he really was the man you see on the show. I mean, there was nothing false about him. He wasn't at all different than he, he uh, appears to be on the show. And then, Finally, before I left, he showed me the military tattoos he's got all over his arms. <laughs> I, I thought that that was a great line in the movie because uh, the stagehand, whose name I unfortunately forget, he said that, like, you know, he, he couldn't change a light bulb. No, he didn't kill anybody. You know, I just thought it was funny because nice. the amount of money that he, that he came from, you know, it was just like he was certainly not somebody that was going to serve in the military unless they wanted to. You know, he wasn't he was also too old to be drafted for Vietnam. Uh, but, uh, you know, that's neither here nor there. It's just, it, it is interesting how there's those sort of rumors about him because it's just like, well, he couldn't possibly be, uh, that guy. And, uh, so what I was saying in terms of, you know, watching the show, my little sister is seven years younger than me. So it was kind of on in my house a little bit longer into my life, but I, I, I wasn't really watching it once I was older. And it's certainly not something you, you think that much about when you're older, but, I actually saw him speak at a commencement address at Marist College. It was not my graduation. My graduation speaker was awful. It was a former mayor of Boston who was definitely blackout drunk while he was speaking. He said he'd lost his speech. And I'm like, no, your speech is in front of you. You just can't read it. So the next year, I had a lot of friends that graduated the year after me. So I went and I was so excited that it was Mr. Rogers. And uh, there's, uh, there's, you know, a lot of the things that they talk about in the movie, the, you know, take one minute, there's things that seem to be the standard speech that he would give. Um, maybe we'll talk a little bit about it later, but it was just sort of that moment where we definitely all sang It's a Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood and in a way where you're just like, you know, you're in your early 20s and you're like, you should probably think you're too cool for it, but none of, none, nobody that, that I was around did. You know, you're just like, this is so much fun. It was just really special. And I mean, that was uh, because I, I actually pulled up a transcript from it because there's a part of it that I want to read when we talk about something else later. And that was uh, May 22nd, 1999. So right around the same time, Gene, you and I both, you know, I didn't meet him, but I saw him. And he really only did the show for a few years later. You know, they stopped right. filming yeah, yeah. at the end of 2000. Uh, well, I, and, and the final episodes aired in 2001. I, I got lucky because they had finished shooting for the season, but they had to go back and just do a few pickup things. So this was just one out of 
I mean, maybe they were doing a, just a few days during that summer. So I was able to get in there on one of the days they were shooting. Right. Well, they really probably, I think they had to wait for a member of the platypus family to get out of rehab. So they had to <laughs> film his coverage. Uh, anyway, so as we're talking sort of, you know, generally about Mr. Rogers already for half the episode, uh, the movie itself I thought was incredibly well done. And I've talked about the movie in a few places. I've talked about it on the Popcorn Talk Network has a show called Anatomy of a Movie. We did a special uh, half hour of that. And uh, I visited with my old friends on the Tomorrow Show, and we talked about the movie kind of extensively. And in those places, I've talked about how there were four times that I just broke out crying and distinctively was crying during the movie. Uh, and we'll talk about those as, as we have our conversation. Uh, the, the thing was that I, I saw the movie without my wife because I just, you know, felt like she barely has time to see, you know, the big movies that everybody's talking about. I don't think we realized this was going to be such a phenomenon. But then after I saw it and I told her that I cried four times, she was like, I can't believe I didn't see that because she's only very rarely seen that level of emotion from me. And the first moment in the film that really got me, and I talked about this in the other shows, is this this clip that you just you just get blindsided by, you know, Daniel Stripe Tiger hands Lady Aberlin a balloon. And through the course of letting out the air and asking her where the air goes, he wants to know what an assassination is. And that's this moment that hits you where you're like, oh, my God, my my kid's going to have to ask me something like that someday. And not at a time that you're ready. Like, well, this is a convenient time. What does assassination mean? Have you heard that word a lot today? Yes. And I didn't know what it meant. Well, it means somebody getting killed in a, a sort of surprise way. That's what happened, you know. That man killed that other man. I know, and a lot of people are talking about it right now. Too many people are talking about it. A lot of people are sad and scared about it, you know. I'd rather talk about it some other day. Whenever you like. To just think about Mr. Rogers and everybody on the show, like, well, we should really handle this issue that has been on TV. I don't know that they did it the next day or, you know, I mean, there's, you know, in the clip, Lady Aberlin says people have been talking a lot about that today. So I assume it's either the day or the day after Robert F. Kennedy is assassinated and they do it. What I, what I've since read up is a primetime special that's essentially for adults, but in a way to kind of help them figure out how to talk to their kids about it. And I just want to first ask you guys sort of seeing that clip and, as kids, you definitely don't sense, you know, look, that episode wasn't one that I saw. First of all, it was in black and white, and it definitely wasn't in the reruns. But uh, I'll, I'll ask you first, Jason, what do you think when you see that clip, and what does that do about the sort of the, the gravity of what the show was talking about and the audience that it had? 
It it's one of those things where uh, I listened to your popcorn talk before I, I went to the theater. So yeah, which I, that's I, right I, there. That's you know the yeah, come on, spoiler alert. You you can't you can't get the Mr. Rogers movie spoilered. <laughs> I know I got it spoiled, uh, but uh, so I was I was uh, a little bit prepared for that, but uh, it, it definitely it just makes you realize how much of an adult show this is. In that now that especially that I have kids, it's almost like. I wish I had the show there for myself as a father for like notes because uh, a couple things and Gene hit on this when um, he said that he went to the taping and he always brought in school kids and just had the time to talk to them. And and that was something that they showed on the show was that the stagehand said, you know, he he would take time and he was patient and he would listen and he made you feel important. And and the stagehand was like, you know, a lot of them were the kids were dicks, but you know, <laughs> that was funny. Um, but you know, and then I come home and I'm like, you know, I've, I've got three, three-year-olds at home and, and, and I find myself so much where I feel like I'm, I don't give them time. They all three want to talk to you and you're just like, okay, that's good. And you're trying to move through the room and you're just trying to kind of manage them. And I've really like, I didn't necessarily cry at the theater, but I, I've gotten teared up since I've seen that movie when my kids are all kind of swarming me and you just kind of want to say, okay, hold on, daddy needs some time. And then I'm like, wait, wait, no, Fred Rogers has time for kids. He doesn't even know. And there are more of them and, and made them feel special. And, and, and it makes me feel as a father, like, okay, how am I measuring up to, to that standard? And then, and then the other thing that really struck me was the episode where they said that, uh, Daniel Tiger was feeling like insecure about school. And, and then so um, Lady Eberlin started singing a song saying, you know, no, you should. You oh, he said he be- asked, he asked, am I a mistake? Am I a mistake? That's right. And then and then and then she said, no, you're not a mistake. And do you understand? And he nodded. Yes. But then he kept singing the song and the duet with her in that in that instance, Daniel Tiger, you know, he says he understands that he's not a mistake, but yet he still sings the song like he is a mistake. And you realize a lot of times with kids, and I have this a lot of times, my kids will have sort of an irrational fear or something and, and I'll talk them through it and they nod and you think they understand, but it just comes up day after day after day. And, And a lot of times it can be frustrating because with an adult, you're like, well, we've been through this. You should understand and, and everything in a TV show, should resolve happily but the fact that you know they made it where it didn't resolve and and it just it just in in some ways it's 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 a great tool for for kids but i really think i would miss this show as a parent now i i I'd, I'd like to learn a lot of these lessons not necessarily from the perspective of daniel tiger but from the perspective of lady eberlin and 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 fred rogers as as a parent and you know how do they address these issues with kids uh- I do like the person that you are becoming When you are sleeping, when you are waking You're not a fake, you're no mistake You are my friend I wonder if I'm you are a just fine as you are I'm not like anyone I I do like the person that you are becoming. 
quite tired or shaking or most of the time I'm weak and I'm lying do you suppose that's a shame I wonder if I'm just fine as you are I'm not supposed to be scared sometimes I cry and sometimes I shake wondering isn't it true that the strong never break I'm not like anyone else no I'm not like anyone else I think you are just fine exactly the way you are the way I look yes the way I talk yes the way I love Especially that. You don't think I'm a mistake? You're the tiger I love most in this whole universe. Oh, thanks, Lady Evelyn. I love you, too. For people who might not know, you do have triplets. So you have three times the daddy, I need your attention. And, you know, I, I have two kids, but Lucy's small enough where she's just sort of constantly making one noise or another. So it's not actually directed at me most of the time. So, but Felix is very actively trying to get my attention and it is definitely something that you think about when you see something like this. And, you know, on Amazon, they have the first black and white week, the first full week of Mr. Rogers. And then like the second or third episode, he's got the, it's, you see it actually in the movie, he's holding up a newspaper, but then he actually talks about the newspaper and is like, does anybody at, at your house read the newspaper in the morning? Do they sit at the table like this? And he puts it over his face and he's like, you know, I used to do that, but then I realized I missed everything that was going on. So I just put it down and you know, I, I do get a Sunday newspaper in because I love the coupons, but the uh, modern day version of that is like, oh yeah, how often are you looking at your phone? Because you're like, oh, I just need to look at this one more thing, you know? And it's like, yeah, they, they definitely know you're not paying attention to them, you know? And it's yeah. just little lessons like that, that, you know, you're still able to learn <laughs> after uh, 50 years. And I try to look at it as not Oh, think of all the ways I'm being a bad parent. Just like, oh, hey, let's look at a couple things that I could do better. Like the day after I saw the movie again, uh, I definitely found myself speaking to Felix much slower, much more deliberate, just like knowing that like I'm starting to get annoyed, but I know that that's not going to help. That didn't last all week. But, <laughs> you know, that on that day, it's something you think about. You know, it, it definitely confirmed for me that the RFK part was that he didn't go into making the show for entertainment value. He went in as an extension of a, a form of ministry. And I'm, I'm guessing that nobody in those production meetings were saying, okay, if we do that, are we gonna lose the kids? Is it gonna be entertaining enough? You know, they did what they thought they needed to do for the sake of the kids' sanity or what he talked about at the beginning, the modulations of life. He equated how musical notes can move from one to the other, either simply in major chords or going into a minor, which is a more difficult modulation. But in life, we have those same difficult transitions to make. And I think that's where his concerns were to confirm that for me, that that's what his goal was in putting the show together. It's very much a, a hot button issue over the last couple of decades for uh, people to talk derisively about public television. 
but only in public television edgy and that's not even pbs i think at that point i think it's still the national education television but it's essentially pbs only in in that realm are you going to be able to like okay well we're going to do we're going to do a whole show about this assassination because i think it's upsetting to kids we're going to do a week on divorce we're going to do a week on conflict not specifically war but you know we're going to do weeks on these things and i think only in public television are you going to be because Sure, there's there have to be executives in some way, but especially, you know, twenty years in, Mister Rogers could probably they would they would trust him. But I think once networks and sponsors get involved, you would never see a lot of the clips that we saw in the show. Just like, no, this is really going to bum kids out. So instead of Daniel wondering if he was a mistake, maybe just he got a bad grade on his math quiz. How about <laughs> that? You know, and then just like completely missing the point. Um, it's like Casey Kasem. Do I have to do a, a death dedication? Where's Don? Get Don in here. <laughs> Every time I got to do a death dedication out of an up-tempo record. Uh, but, and sort of sticking on this RFK special, just because it's the fact that it exists at all is, is stunning. Uh, I found a, a slightly longer clip. It's only like eight and a half minutes. The present day Lady Aberlin, who, whom I follow on Twitter, actually, she tweeted out a link to it and I watched it. And th it's a little bit, there's some of it, you know, that's not in the clip. And, you know, Lady Aberlin says she's going to go on a picnic with Lady Elaine and X the Owl. And Daniel's like, you know, I just don't feel like going on a picnic today. And it's sort of like a simple, like, yeah, it's a bad day. Some people are going to deal with it in different ways. But then after that, there's this, amazing conversation that Mr. Rogers has with the viewers, presumably the adults, just saying how concerned he is about the level of violence that the mass media is showing. And as with so many things attached to the show, you're like, uh, is, is he saying this, you know, in 1967 or is he saying this, you know, six minutes ago, you know, and he's specifically, I mean, I, I think that there are some things that have been curbed a little bit, but you know, there were the assassinations that year. Vietnam was constantly on. And I guess he was really worried about kids watching TV by themselves. You know, look, those are pretty extreme examples, but I think that we're, you know, there's a slight age difference, as you mentioned, Gene, but I think we're all probably that generation where television was something of a babysitter in our life. And oh, yeah. there were definitely some questionable lessons that I took away from having TV as my babysitter. Most of those lessons came in the form of Jack Tripper, Chrissy and Janet down at the Regal Beagle on Three's Company. But uh, I think that, you know, my, I'm, I, I'm sure that my mom just didn't worry about the fact that I was going to be sitting in front of Mr. Rogers for half an hour in front of Sesame Street for an hour, you know, and even so, I find that if I sit and watch Mr. Rogers or Daniel Tiger with Felix and I'm able to actually talk to him about it, uh, I think there's a, a greater appreciation uh, for that. I don't know. Uh, Jason, what do you find about the difference between watching TV with your kids and then putting it on while they're in the car so that they don't drive you crazy? Yeah, it's just you, you never really know what they're going to pick up on, uh, even on shows like uh, Daniel Tiger or whatever, sometimes there'll be a line that really they don't necessarily get the context of, and they'll almost come away with sort of the exact opposite uh, meaning. Um, you know, I think there was one episode where Daniel Tiger uh, had to go potty, 
And it was, you know, the one, if you have to go potty, stop to go right away. And, and so and, we uh, kinda, well, you, you, wait, don't leave, don't leave me hanging. Flush and wash and be on your <laughs> yeah. way. Yeah. Yeah. I know. Yep. So and, glad I haven't seen this. Well, you know, uh, to have this come around into my life at the time I was doing potty training, it was an amazing tool. So, uh, yeah, with a 14 year old, you don't need that in your life. But, uh, with a two year old, I was very <laughs> glad to have it. Thing. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's true. Maybe, but, you know what? Maybe he, maybe Ben comes home and watches Daniel Tiger, just like you watched Sesame street, you know, who knows? Uh, but I'm uh, sorry. Finish your thought, Jason. Well, anyway, there was something in there where it said, you know, uh, tell an adult. And and anyway, my, my son, Eric, that's what his takeaway was, that you have to tell an adult before you go potty. And we've gotten to this point where he just he would stand up there. And if we were down in the other room, he would yell, Mommy, Daddy, I need to go potty. And we would just say, OK, go potty. But we wouldn't go up there. Right. And I don't think he could hear us. And so yeah, and then he would not use it and we'd have accidents and stuff and we had to sit down and he said that you know daniel tiger told him you have to tell an adult and he thought that was actually like a you know intricate part of the procedure if we didn't you know weren't there to we're like no you don't you know don't have to um just little things like that sometimes that uh the, the way they boil things down sometimes what you as an adult might think okay th this is obviously the lesson they they come up with another lesson, um, I know a couple weeks ago we took our kids to vacation Bible school for the first time, and you know you come home at the end of the day and you're like, "What'd you learn?" And they said, uh, "Jesus got wet, and then he went fishing." And you're like, "What does that mean?" And then you look at the the write up, and what they covered that day was Jesus being baptized by John the Baptist, and then going and telling the disciples, I'll make you fishers of men. And, you know, it's just funny how they, they take those things and you have to sit down and say, no, this is what this means and stuff. So yeah, the way that, that they, the way that they conveyed it to you, it could very well have been Gallagher doing an in-store at a Bass Pro <laughs> Shop, you know, cause they would have gotten wet, but there could have also been some fishing. Um, you know, uh, Gene, and, some, and somebody said, Jesus, Gene, <laughs> uh, sort of back to the idea of, of you watching the, the show a little bit older. I, I definitely know there are times in not even in my teens, but probably in my early twenties, it would have been very helpful to have somebody reminding me that uh, maybe maybe I was special. And I'm in no way disparaging my parents; they were always actually really good about that. I think my mom, in particular, because she was the one who was home, was really good at taking sort of the lessons from the show and carrying it through. And you look as as much as I it's a slight tangent, but that's what we do in the podcast. As much as I like Mr. Rogers. Uh, Captain Kangaroo was something that that I watched a lot of, and there was this thing that they would do that it was, I don't know, it was like a short little story, but it was called like Together Time, and the whole idea was your parent who was off somewhere else in the house would come and actually sit with you for like three minutes. And so it was just like, uh, Mommy! together time and she was like all right i gotta go watch this show now and i have no idea i remember very little content from captain kangaroo but i remember that and then also that after i took a nap i i would also get what i would call rocking chair time because i would sit with my mom because you know look after you've been napping all afternoon you need to kind of come down from it but the point in all of that is to some extent i'm i'm sure that Bob Keeshan, Captain Kangaroo, probably wasn't quite as focused on sort of the child development stuff. But at the same time, it wasn't like a Howdy Doody sort of show or, you know, Double Dare. I'm just trying to think of something from when I was a kid. And the idea that I guess uh, Fred Rogers sort of has the importance of 
you know, he mentions this like expression of care for parents, but also as like a television caretaker. Did you feel like when you were watching the show when you were a little older that it was still like, I know this is for kids, but this just makes me feel better? Exactly. Yeah, I knew it was for kids. I there was that's why I, there was no way I was going to tell any of my peers that I watched it. Yeah. Um, same with Sesame Street, but I didn't care. I mean, I was I was in the room by myself. Nobody was watching what I was watching, and it was just a nice way to. Sometimes I would even fall asleep. It was a nice way to just unwind <laughs> and uh, and calm down from the long day at school or whatever it was. Yeah, it was just something really calming about it. And I knew I was, you know, spending time with a good soul, which was important. Like someone I could probably trust. I liked the clunkiness of the puppets because at the time I was making puppets on my own and as well. You know, my aspirations were to make something closer to what I saw on Sesame Street, but I still enjoyed the puppetry of it and all the stage sets and all the fantasy that went into it. Um, so it was just an extension of what I took from childhood. And it was a way of extending my childhood, I guess, at the time. But, yeah, because teenage years are just, you know, full of all these new challenges. And so you try to hang on to parts of childhood when you can, things that were easier and more comforting. Yeah, I mean, I, I was hanging on to my childhood in a in a different way in terms of you know comic books and things, but it's sort of it's a similar thing. To talk for a moment about sort of the, the puppets, as as simple as they are, you know, I mean, just watching Felix mesmerized by these very crude puppets, you know, I mean, he's seen Sesame Street, he's he's seen you know he's seen like relatively recent within the last couple of years, like current episodes of Sesame Street. So puppets are actually a far cry, but. At no moment does he think anything other than like, oh, that's that's real Daniel and there's King Friday and there's, you know, O's Uncle X the Owl and Meow Meow Kitty and everybody's there, you know. And I think that the way that the humans interact with the puppets goes a long way for you as at least as an adult, you're like, no, they are really selling it. They are selling that that this this sock with whiskers is actually a tiger who feels sad. Did you say Felix does or doesn't believe it? He does. No, no, no. I mean, he. My my kids do too. It was. It was actually. I was really surprised because when you look at Daniel Tiger, the the animation is obviously very good. And so when Mister Rogers came on, I didn't realize if they would even kind of think of it as the same show, especially when Daniel Tiger as a sock puppet doesn't wear the red jacket and the. Jason, he wouldn't wear that because that Daniel is Daniel's father. So he shouldn't uh, have on the the red sweatshirt. So because wait, Daniel's t- Daniel Tiger's father is Daniel Stripe Tiger because you know his dad works in the clock. So there you go. Okay. So that's okay. that, that's that's the lineage. And and then uh, for for Gene, like there's there's an owl who is X's nephew, and uh, Henrietta has Katarina Kitty Cat because they don't throw the word pussy cat around like they used to. Is I think it's just like you know what? Let's just let's just not give ourselves that headache. Um, <laughs> But yeah, and there was an episode th- that we were watching and Lady Aberlin and Daniel Striped Tiger are just playing peekaboo at one point. And the w- he laughed so hard when she said peekaboo. And I was just like, like I, I can't make him laugh like that. But something, something about just watching, you know, Daniel's sort of hiding and she was hiding and just something about it still connects with kids, even though, you know, the episode was from like, I don't know, 36 years ago or something. Yeah, I mean, I don't think the clunkiness of the puppets has that big of an effect on how convincing they can be because you can can get entranced by a marionette 
uh, with with no moving facial features and things. And I think part of it, well, you saw you saw in the film too examples of how Mr. Rogers would be standing right next to the child with the puppet in his hand, and the child never looked away from the puppet. And I think it's the conviction of the puppeteer and how much they transfer their emotions into what's on their hand. And, and my brother does the same thing. My mother, my brother is a, one of the Muppet performers, and I've seen many instances where he's standing right next to a child with a puppet on his arm, and they never look away. It becomes real to them. And they, oh, you know what? I just, I just read an article today on Melissa McCarthy being interviewed about the Happy Time murders. And she talks exactly about that. When she got on the set, she never addressed my brother, who is down below his character, she found herself almost being embarrassed by the fact that she was just having natural conversations with the puppet in front of her. But as clunky as they get, I don't think that will take away from how well you can relate to them. I think you you bring as much to it as they bring, as they offer you as far as the communication goes, especially at that age. It really just has so much to do with the I don't know I guess he just understood like I think people are gonna respond to this and yeah watching the, the scenes with him with kids that was that was another uh moment in the movie that made me cry is when he's talking to the kid who's explaining I guess his his dog died or his cat died he took and he's like talking to Daniel and the, the kid's like looking at Daniel he's not looking at Mr. Rogers you know right. it, it just there was definitely something about that that just, uh, you know, just watching and, you know, Daniel's just saying like, oh, that makes me sad. And it's like, Daniel needs a hug, you know? And it's just like, it's just such a, such a smart way to interact with a kid. And, you know, I mean, look, we're, we are very fortunate that uh, we haven't had to explain any, anyone dying to him yet, but uh, it's, it's kind of an ongoing conversation because uh, my, my wife's grandmother is 103, so it's sort of like something that we know that at some point it's a conversation we'll have to have, you know, and you see clips like, you know, Mr. Rogers with the the dead fish. And uh, it's just like, I don't know, are these going to be helpful for him to watch it? Do we talk to him? And I, I don't know the answers to those things. And um, I guess that's... I think sometimes, from my experience, yeah. you let them ask the questions. Yeah. You know, you see, again, and you don't want to over, overstate things. They'll take what they need for the moment. And over time, they take a little bit more and more about each of those issues. Right. I think you let them ask the first questions, give them a little bit, and if they ask more, you give them a little more, you know, depending on how where their maturity is. Right. That's my, that's my parental advice to you, young fathers. No, look, and that's really what this is all about. We're just trying to get free advice from somebody that's been at it longer <laughs> than us. So uh, thanks for that. Gene. Do you think, here's a question about the film. Do you think... I think he was able to also do the same thing uh, with Tom Snyder a little bit on the Tomorrow Show with Daniel the Tiger. I, you know, I, Tom was a little more um, self-conscious about it, but at the end he said said something like, "Oh, that was, he, he, he's like that, that was sweet. That was nice." He's like, "That was fun," or "I liked that." And even Tom Snyder is like, "I, I can't believe it." Um, I'm glad you brought that up, though, because uh, Jason, I know that that's one of the moments that stood out for you in the film uh, in in a different way, really. I just didn't like that he asked him that question. Uh, are are you a square? And then you could tell him, and he goes, "Are are you straight?" And and it was just one of those things where, um, because he is different, because he you know he works with puppets and 
And especially, you know, you think about X the Owl and his voice. His voice was kind of like, you know, very, yeah. you know, very lispy and yeah. whatever. That You know, it's just funny, like, even in those day and age, like, somebody who works with puppets and works with kids, oh, they, they must be a little different. They must be, you know, maybe he's gay, whatever, even, you know. and I mean, that's clearly what Tom Snyder's insinuating. It's like, he feels like he needs to ask because he's like, you know, even though he's on a a talk show at 1.30 in the morning where he chain smokes cigarettes and talks to people, he still feels like he's a journalist. So he thinks he needs to ask that question when, you know, it's just kind of a rude thing to ask, but I I think it comes up a lot. You know, it's just one of those questions you're like, well, you can't, you can't possibly be one this way and there's something a little off about you. So clearly you have to be, you have to be gay or you have to be different or you have to be, you know, the ex Navy seal who's got like 10 kills or whatever, you know? Yeah. It was interesting how they, they tied all that together, all those rumors about him and, and stuff that people just can accept that there's somebody who's just a, you know, a nice sort of soft spoken you know, uh, Presbyterian minister who loved kids and, and, you know, played the piano and, and sang. I mean, you know, I mean, his, his singing was very marginal, but it was very, you know, for kids, it was, it was, you know, very entertaining and he's good at writing little, little jingles and stuff. And what, why can't somebody be sweet, you know, and just be sweet. That it kind of made me upset. Tom Steiner felt like he had to dig into that. Or One of the moments that got me a little choked up. There were moments when you just watch Mr. Rogers listening to people. And you just saw in his eyes the, um, the focus and the concentration and almost an innocence and a sense of discovery in every word the person was saying to them because he was there with them in the moment and there was something genuine about him as a, as a person. And how he wanted to communicate with the person in front of him, whether it was an adult or a child. And I just thought, this is just a pure soul. And those were really touching moments to me. Yeah, yeah. it was interesting. I didn't even realize he had that uh, show in between the first and second runs of Mr. Rogers that was more the adult-oriented show on PBS, which that was kind of interesting to watch him, you know, the guy playing the piano, and he's just sitting there enthralled. And the way he's speaking to him, you're used to him having sort of that tone with a you know, a, a three or four year old on a show, but yet here was this 40, 50 something year old piano player. And he was just still very soft and gentle and, and very, you know, it was, it was, it was kind of interesting. I, I, I can, you know, yeah. you sort of wonder it, what does it say about him versus what does it say about us as viewers of that show didn't really kind of, you know? <laughs> yeah. I think, I think adults must've been off put by the fact that he had this sort of, you know, childlike excitement about, everything you know and the show his show the the neighborhood show for kids you feel like the goal was almost like oh if only there was a show like this when i was a kid you know they talk about how he was really sick when he was a kid and he was home a lot and that's something that i identified with except you know i there i was watching tv most of the day so you know in addition to seeing mr rogers and sesame street it was you know the 60s batman and get smart and some of my favorite shows like that that maybe weren't uh, for kids but i i just feel like that's why it was uh, so important to him and you know it's it's what he didn't have and what he really what he really wished he'd had they talk about fat freddy which was his nickname as a boy because he was overweight and he was bullied a lot and learning that gives you so much insight as into why he didn't want any child to feel either bullied or or isolated because of how they stood out 
you know, the sort of the idea of Fat Freddy comes up a couple times in the movie, just sort of, you know, as, as to that was sort of always inside of him. And it is sort of interesting. Um, I wanted to backtrack because uh, I sort of touched on a couple of times. Betty Aberlin is on Twitter and Gene, you and I talked about this on the side that a lot of her posts are just really angry, political, and, you know, doesn't really bother me so much. It, like her work on the show is still very sweet, but uh, she's yeah. very angry, very left-leaning political and that sprinkled within it are sometimes just these really nice moments and reminiscences of her. Um, and she says she didn't want to be in the movie because of the fact that she thought that the work should speak for herself. I saw an interview uh, with uh, Morgan Neville, the director of this film, and he said he actually talked to her on the phone a lot and he got a lot out of her, you know, just a lot of information that helped him. But she just didn't want to come on camera, I guess, uh, and talk about the show. Uh, it's interesting because she's like acted in Kevin Smith movies and things. That's why right. she was on his podcast. So she still acts, but it, she's sort of this like weird figure on Twitter because I've had some lovely interactions with her and I'm just going to, just going to share one of them because uh, I don't know. I just thought that uh, it, it was, it was very, it was very sweet. Um, watching the episode that I told you guys about, that where she was just playing peekaboo. So I just was like, I thought about it a little later in the day. I was like, so I wrote this on Twitter. In these chaotic, divisive, and quite frankly, dangerous times, it's a wonderful respite to just sit with my arm around my two-year-old while he laughs uproariously at Betty Aberlin playing peekaboo with Daniel Striped Tiger in a 36-year-old episode of Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. And she wrote back, uh, swoons with gratitude and then followed up, you're using the program exactly as it was meant to be. And I've had some other interactions with her just because like when she posted the RFK clip, I, I wrote some things. And it's just like the the sweetest, nicest soul who is so angry about the world at the same time. It, it's sort of a fascinating thing. Is she is she at Will Sterling's underscore? She is, she is not a Will Sterling underscore, but uh, she may possibly uh, sometimes subscribe to the motivation report. But it, I don't know. It's just it's interesting because I, I, I sort of get the idea that she just wants to talk about it. But because the clips that we've we've talked about two clips where she's interacting with Daniel, one, the RFK clip, the one where he says, was he a mistake? And then she sings a duet with him. And you're like, you're you're singing with a with a sock. That in in neither of those instances looks particularly good on camera, and yet you're just like, well, she's she's there with Daniel Striped Tiger, you know what I mean? She like makes it so real, and I think that you know there are other humans in the scenes, but those two in particular, it's like, well, if she was just like, man, I can't wait to get out of here for this paycheck, you know what I mean? If she was like phoning it in. It, it would have shown. And honestly, those clips wouldn't have been in the movie if there was somebody on the show who was like yeah. that. So it's, you know, it's like you, you throw your hands up about uh, people's politics sometimes. And you just, I don't know, for me, I can't let it bother me. I can't let it make me think that she's any less sweet in that duet with Daniel Tiger or telling him that it's okay if he doesn't want to talk about the assassination until a different day because he's too sad. Yeah. You know, she was, she was really sweet to me the day that I met her in person. And I just, I don't really pay attention to any of the political stuff, I, either on Facebook or wherever. And I imagine that she's just as sweet these days. It's just that she uses that as a forum for some of her political thoughts. And so, you know, I, I don't even take it into account. Um, I, she's probably, you know, sit, having lunch with her would probably be a really wonderful experience. And that's where I leave it. 
and and for anyone, by the way, for anyone who's actually interested in her, the the Kevin Smith podcast, it's from 2011. It's really interesting because she has like a career of, you know, performing in the village in New York. She was on the Smothers Brothers show. And there's like all this. She I think she alluded to it, but she didn't really get into it. I think her marriage broke up because she started seeing Albert Brooks, the comedian. So there's like there's some fascinating things in there and just the people that she knew coming up. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, I don't know, it's sort of an interesting uh, insight in there. Uh, Jason, you were going to say something? Uh, I was just going to say, like, you know, when you think about watching the show from modern times, like, it's just amazing to me that duet that they just had a pianist there in the studio playing along the sheet music as the show went on. It wasn't pre-recorded music. It was, And then the fact that you've got Fred there, you know, behind a curtain holding Daniel Tiger and singing a duet with somebody who's on the other side of a wall yeah. with just basically a piano. I mean, technically, that's that's not easy to do. And uh, somehow they they pulled it off and made it all, you know, harmonize and everybody was on pitch and, and just things like that t- today would be easily fixed in post. They just, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, and that's who Gene referenced. That's John Costa. And when Betty Ireland posted the longer version of the RFK clip, she mentioned how great the job he did sort of in, in scoring those moments, you know, it's just there. And she also referenced that there's like, there's microphone knocks into the set and stuff like that, you know, all sorts of things that would be uh, finished in post. Um, just sort of one final thought from her on a different tweet back and forth that I had. She apparently saw the documentary. She says it's enchanting, profound, and asks moral questions of the audience. Just for her, she hopes that Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, the work, speaks for itself, and she didn't feel like she should speak about it. But anyway, I just... I'm glad uh, to hear that she liked the film. Yeah, I I actually had... When I started following her, I followed her because Kevin Smith made me aware that that she was on Twitter, and then right away I was like, oh my gosh, look at all this political stuff. But then when she got beneath the surface, and I actually thought that she was just opposed to the documentary, and then realized that it was just... She just felt like she didn't want to be a part of it. And but really thought it was good. So uh, I don't know. I, was, I, I always have you talk about her convin- conviction singing with Daniel. I just always felt that um, she was on the exact same page as Fred Rogers was um, when it came to the value of the show and where it be- where it belonged um, on TV and why it, with its purpose, its main purpose. So I think that's that gave her a big part of her conviction. It's obviously and. You know, once you're sort of a part of the show, I think you realize that, you know, look, I can't imagine that even after, what, 35 years that anybody made that much money. But because of what funding to PBS was and because of how many episodes there were, they would only do like 15 episodes a year. And in the last couple of years, they only did like five or 10. And the the final season is literally one week of shows. It's five episodes. So I think it's pretty easy to keep it in your life and sort of do other things. And, uh, you know, I think that the people that were lifers on the show, obviously, you know, Mr. McFeely and Handyman Negri and, you know, everybody just they had to realize like, oh, this is this is such a unique experience. First of all, it's a it's a national TV show out of Pittsburgh. So right there, <laughs> right there, you're not going to get a lot of that. So uh, I, I don't know. I think it's a it, it, it's it's all very interesting and sort of the extension of the people in front of the camera. 
I think we got at least a little bit of a feel for the people on the crew. There was a little bit more of that in the documentary that Jason and I referenced, It's You I Like, because it was narrated by Michael Keaton, who was a stagehand. And you see him for like literally three quarters of a second in this film. Uh, there's like just a, a group shot of everybody, I guess, yeah. who's on the, the stage. The, you see a little bit of some clips from those days in this documentary. And I don't know if maybe that's why, because he was a part of that, that he's not really involved in this. But it, it's just sort of interesting, you know, just the way that they, you know, the, the little uh, jokes that they played, like switching out his shoes and things like that, stuff like that, that we saw. But just how important it was and how protective they are, you know, the the same stagehand who I want to say his name is Joe and I, I, I really should look his name up, but I keep talking and, and you know, he's like, I've got, I've got a million funny stories, but I, I can't tell you. And then the, the yeah. filmmaker's like, how about one? And he's like, no, but there's still plenty to tell you. So it's just like, yeah, the idea that, you know, he took Mr. Rogers camera and took a picture of his ass. And then, you know, again, this is the old days when you had to get your your film developed. So like weeks later, you finally go like, hey, there's a picture of, that's why I think his name is Joe, because I feel like I hear that in my head. It's like, there he is with his ass. But then Mr. Rogers has it blown up into a poster, which I think is, it's funny because, you know, you could be like, you know, the, the guy who was on the track for a seminary, a devote Presbyterian or whatever he was. And you could be upset by that. Instead, he was just like, He's just like, oh, this is really funny. I'm going to try and be even funnier. And the the comment that the same stagehand made was that Mr. Rogers said to him that I knew I was going to like you when I realized you weren't going to kiss my ass. And he's like, and that's a direct quote from Mr. Rogers. So the fact that he even said kiss my ass even once, you're just like, well, I, I, I kind of like that, you know. Anyway, we've talked so much about Mr. Rogers and there's so much more to talk about. Hey, Christian, I have an idea. What's that? Why don't we do another episode? I think that's probably a good idea, but we can't do that today, Gene. We're going to have to do that tomorrow. Tomorrow, tomorrow. We'll start the day tomorrow with a song. Four, two, one, two. Tomorrow, tomorrow. We'll start the day tomorrow with a smile for you. Till then, I hope you're feeling happy. Till then, I hope your day is snappy. Right, tomorrow, tomorrow, it soon will be tomorrow and be our day. We will say a very happy tomorrow to you. And remember, you make every Black Cast a special podcast just by your being you. We'll see you next time.